I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is author Anna Pennenberg, and we're going to talk about her new memoir, Dancing in the Narrows, a powerful book detailing her journey to rediscover herself after spending years as a single mother struggling to help her daughter navigate Lyme disease. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I love how you have your book cover behind you, by the way. Tell me um, at what point when you decided to, to turn this into a book. Um, well, my daughter was 16 when she got sick, and I had typically journaled most of my life. So when things just kept getting uh, worse and going on longer with no real diagnosis and what to do, I kept writing in my journals. And at one point I had this brilliant idea that we should document what's going on here. And uh, as we lost many things in our lives and she wasn't in school, and um, anyway, I'm not a filmmaker, so that was not really a great idea. <laughs> so I then had the idea that maybe I would just keep writing in my journal and do something with that. So it's kind of a fun story because I, I just kept writing things and finally went to a writing class mm -hmm. when I could get away for an hour and, and my writing didn't really include me. It was all about my daughter. And so then that began the journey to what happened to me. What happened to you? Yeah. I can definitely relate to the fact that maybe you didn't realize at the time, but the writing was very cathartic for you, very healing, a way for you to maybe process things. Definitely. And um, I think I began to see that as this continued for years, that we were being trained, that this was a shamanic journey of some sort, and that I had not consciously elected myself into, or she, but that it was, we were in this and we were learning. What kind of journey did you call the shamanic? Yeah. Do you so want to just define that for people who don't know what that is? It's kind of like the hero's journey in many stories mm -hmm. um, that are considered archetypal. It's, it's kind of the big view of, of what the meaning of your life is that you find out as you're living. And yeah. This was a school that we didn't, you know, apply for. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What were the symptoms your daughter was having and when did it first start? Uh, she had gone to India as a, on a community service trip when she was 15 that summer. And she wasn't feeling that great. And then she came back and we thought she had parasites and we went to the gastroenterologist and she had become more and more anxious about her schoolwork and she was a dancer and you know a very good student and um so she just started not doing well and she didn't want to talk about it because she thought you know she was getting stupid but when you have Lyme it does disturb your brain chemistry and if the infections make their way through your nervous system into your brain and your heart, 
Um, so that would be brain fog is a very common symptom. Wow. Um, I grew up, spent a lot of time in Connecticut and I remember coming back from fishing one day and I took my shirt off and I had a tick right here and I panicked and just clawed it out. And I didn't really know much. I just knew that they were dangerous. It's so incredible to think that the little bug can cause such havoc in someone's body. And life. It and life, long term. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So how long did it take for her to get a diagnosis? It took a year and a half with me, and it's not that she hadn't actually been tested for Lyme. Two of those tests were negative, and they weren't very extensive, just the common a lab core test or quest. And uh, finally, after, you know, by that time, I was big researcher trying to figure this out. And um, I was, I actually was worried about me because I thought, because I had taken her with me when I was uh, teaching and across the country in Amherst, in uh, Northampton, actually. Yes. And um, so I got worried one day because I went like this and I thought I felt something and then I didn't feel it. And, and I knew about ticks. I didn't know a lot, but I, I thought maybe I'd had a tick. And so I was like worried about myself when I looked a whole bunch of things up. And then, you know, Dana was sitting there with a full blown case of Lyme, which we didn't quite understand yet. Yeah. And uh, at that list was like, hey, these are symptoms you have, and it's a long list. And as you move forward with chronic Lyme, you symptoms gather up, they change, more systems go down. Uh, so she had a lot on that list. And I then had heard about this lab, Igenix lab, that the Lyme doctors used, and I wanted a test from there. So I had a doctor write prescription for that, and that came back positive. That came back positive. Mm -hmm. And then where did you go from there? Everywhere. We went, I actually went to a local doctor that was um, about an hour from where we lived. There was nobody in LA being a Lyme doctor at the time. And he had started to see Lyme patients. And uh, I went to him because I knew he would do some alternative things as well. So we got some tinctures and we got supplements and they were just beginning to create these supplements, uh, research nutritionals, there's a whole line of those that Lyme doctors use. And I, they'd given us various things for her. And then we went to an LLMD uh, in San Francisco and I had my bag of good stuff that we were going to keep her system strong and fight this thing. And mm -hmm. He pretty much only uses, you know, he only uses pharmaceuticals. So he gave us those. Hmm. It, was, it was just shocking to me because I always thought like, she's 16, she's a healthy kid, you know, yes. she'll get over this. And I always thought it was going to be another month and it had already been a year and a half. Whew. So then he told us nine months of combination antibiotics and every... I think it was every two months we would change those to two different ones. And that went on for nine months. And in the end, 
she had very dark urine and we got scared and we just, I pulled her off everything. And so in between, we would go to the Chinese medicine doctor and get herbs. Um, so I kind of want to shift the conversation because I think what happened to us is that we, we kind of surfed the terrain of what is wellness, what is healing, yes. what is the intelligence of the body, and how can we listen to what the body needs, and should medicine be about killing? Should it be a war? Or do we need to rebalance things? Mm. And I would have chosen that. I would have chosen the rebalancing and alternative besides Western medicine. So that's, that's the journey in my book. Uh, we go on a lot of adventures. We try a lot of different things. We, um, we once bought this huge magnet 400 gauze magnet plate that was the size of your torso. Whoa. And the reason we bought it was because Dana was a sort of a test case at this clinic where they were presenting this product, which was not FDA approved by any means. Mm -hmm. And uh, she lied on it for 10 minutes, turned over, lied on her, her belly. And when she sat up, I saw her knees. And I hadn't seen them in a long time. You saw her knees? She had been so swollen. Oh. So I saw her kneecaps and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is helping your inflammation. Amazing. So we bought it and so it was 150 pounds, put it in the car. <laughs> <laughs> she lied on that for years. But the initial phase was she was trying to stay in school. Right. And she would get up at 4.30 in the morning and lie on the magnet. And it would take her a long time to get dressed and eat a little something. And then I'd get her to school. Then she'd come home at lunch and she'd lie on it again. And then I'd take her back to school. And then she'd lie on it before bed. So it was actually helping her function for short periods of time. That's so interesting. I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. Was she having a tough time socially? Because do kids typically think, oh my gosh, stay away. I don't want to get Lyme disease. Or were her friends pretty accepting? Well, she was in 10th grade and she could not get off the couch. Mm. So, you know, she gets like a flu and then the doctor thinks it's mono and it just went on. She missed the whole term. Um, some of her friends' parents didn't want them to their kids to come over because they didn't know what she had that was a little devastating yeah at one point the um we were we were at a waldorf school so the community is very strong and i'm so grateful that we were there if not for her education for at least the, the support the support that we got and just um you know the community and so the class got on a bus and came over and they'd written cards and oh they all came to visit her. It's so nice. That was really nice. Yeah. But her social life pretty much went away. Yeah. Just dissolved as everything did in our lives because the daily, her being in discomfort and pain was sort of the primary hmm. thing. What was the turning point for her? I mean, how is she doing right now? She's doing very well. 
as I said, we, we made our way to energetic medicine and we, we feel comfortable there. Um, it's not that you should never do pharmaceuticals. It's not that you shouldn't have supplements, but, um, you know, we had so many years of protocols and every hour do this and do that and this with meals and this not with meals. And, and it was kind of like feeling that we were trying to conduct the energetics of her body systems from the external. Mm -hmm. And so the more, the more we learned about various alternative methods that really um, work with the energy of the tissues and the flow of the fluids. Um, she's been trained as a master Reiki practitioner, Holy oh, Fire. And the person she trained with had had Lyme as well and used it on herself. So that was a great mentor. And then she trained with uh, someone that I had taken her to and had been seeing uh, as a craniosacral therapist. And his training is called Craniosacral Unwinding, Gary Strauss. And she, after she made it through college, she took a training with him. And so her work, she and I sometimes work together and she works um, in her discipline, what she calls uh, integrative energetics. That's her practice. And she combines Reiki, craniosacral, and also this um, early birth work. What is that? Is based on the patterns in your physiology and emotionality that come from your birth experience and the inner children that then follow up with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so in other words, if something's going on now, she likes to get to the root of it and follow it back. And she has the tools of Reiki and cranial sacral to, to support the liberation of some of these patterns that need to release. And then cranial sacral, could you tell me what that is exactly? I'm thinking it's, brain. Yeah, it's the fluids that um, traverse your spine. Okay. In the brain from the, from the sacrum. Brain scent. And they have rhythms, um, and some of that is, it's all kind of personal to you, but there is a rhythm. It's sort of the least dense part of us, the uh, cranial sacral fluid. Of all the fluids and of all the tissues, it's the most energetic. What were you doing as far as work when all this happened, when she was 15, 16? So I'm trained as a movement therapist. I'm trained uh, in infant developmental movement. Um, I'm a psychotherapist. And I had built this studio out of my garage. Um, so I had this beautiful dance studio and I had big balls and all kinds of fun stuff. And I was working with uh, motor patterns and you could be a bigger kid or a smaller kid or an adult. And I would um, kind of go somatically through your process. And for kids, some of this um, is really necessary through the somatic because you're not gonna do talk therapy very well. And sure. those, those patterns um, 
you know, can be from birth or from, you know, the whole discipline of the infant work really is about natural movement so that your brain and body develop fully and the range that's possible. And so that's kind of what we want. And there's places that normal kids who don't have uh, any other um, neurological issues or anything can get into. They can get into, you know, not using their right arm as much or they yeah. can crawl on one side and be on their whole body weight into one hip. But that doesn't translate well through life uh, and also through brain patterning and learning. So we want to open that up and want to maybe not put our infants in some of the contraptions that hold them in place because they're not discovering how they got there and where they are in space. Got it. Interesting. So, and I want to add that you were also a single parent through all of this. Yeah. Wow. How did you take care of yourself through the daily struggles and exhaustion and et cetera, et cetera? Um, or didn't you? No, you know, even without knowing it, I do because I do kundalini yoga and meditation. And so even if it was in, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, I'm meditating in the same room while I'm making sure my daughter's breathing or whether I um, just close my eyes for a few minutes and say to myself, all is well, all is well, (laughs) until I can feel it. Yes. being in that um, survival mode is debilitating. And I was scared. I was terrified most of the time. Um, I I mean, during the really rough periods when she was on IV antibiotics for five months, Mm. um, she wasn't breathing well and everything bothered her. Her environmental sensitivities just were off the chart. Sound and smell and light and so she would be crying or screaming because of something poor girl oh as a mom that just must have ripped your heart out yeah and you know i i had to do a lot of healing afterwards because you know when you're in the thick of it you're not putting the baton down right and i wasn't really i was just you know i promised you you aren't living this way Mm -hmm. And that's what I told her initially. I didn't know what she had, but this is not a way to live. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, is it, is it possible that I have control over that? No, but I did have control over my mind. Yes. I was going to say your mindset, your mental health. Yeah. And so I wasn't going there that she was going to die or Mm -hmm. much later on. I asked her if she ever thought she was going to die. She said, yes. And um, that was a sad moment, but at least we got to it when we were okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where can people find out more about you? AnnaPenenberg.com. That's A-N-N-A-P-E-N-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. Anything you would like to leave the listeners with to wrap up our segment? Yes, I actually have been fascinated by the fact that my book came out on July 7th, right in the midst of COVID. 
Yes. And I know you wrote that too on, on the site. And um, there's so many parallels. The isolation, living in the unknown. Um, how do you be with yourself during this? What, what do you do? What do you learn? Um, how do you use this living in the unknown as a creative time? Because it is. Uh, when you're not distracted by other things that are now not in place, you have to create yourself in a new way. Oh, yeah. And I think it's very timely. And there are a lot of humorous moments and adventures that we go on, and it's kind of a wild ride. So That's yeah. perfect. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I was thinking about people that are caring for people that are very sick, and you can't be near anyone. All they're doing is probably Zooming, like we're doing. Uh, so I thought your book is very timely. Well, I want to thank you so much for calling into the show, Anna. I've really enjoyed this. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. 